Well, let me start off by saying uh, good morning, church. <clears throat> I hope that your weekend has gone well. Uh, I've had personally an interesting weekend. I was hoping to stand before you on this morning and to say that we have officially closed on our house in New Orleans. Well, 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 well. I was hoping to say that, <laughs> we, but <laughs> uh, we were supposed to close on Monday, per the buyer's request, we were supposed to, uh, we pushed it till Friday, and we were getting all the paperwork together and signing and all of that, and we did everything we were supposed to do, uh, but something happened with the title company on the buyer side, so we had to push it to Monday. Now, you know, it's, we're still fairly confident it's going to move forward and the Lord has answered prayers, but what was pretty disappointing was I was, you know, the family or the kids and I, we were hoping to celebrate uh, with some nice Maryland crab cakes. <laughs> but instead, we had to settle for a couple of bowls of chicken noodle soup. But hopefully next week we'll have those crab cakes in hand. But to add to the, uh, to the craziness, so my wife, she is out of town uh, with some friends, her and uh, some friends she grew up with get together yearly to do some stuff. So she's having fun while me and the kids are sitting around looking at each other, <laughs> trying to enjoy our chicken noodle soup. So. But hopefully next week I'll be able to stand before you all and say the Lord has fully answered our prayers. But uh, pray, because we, again, we were hoping to settle by now. Uh, that's just a, a little of my weekend, but God is good, and I've been looking forward to worship on this morning. So if you have not been around or if you're visiting, you are coming on a Sunday where we are finishing up First uh, John. And we are finishing up a series on the basics, of uh, foundational basics, so to speak. In other words, what we uh, have hoped for is that you will have seen some of the most basic truths of the gospel as John presents it. And this is not exhaustive in any form or fashion, but John has highlighted, uh, for example, the idea of love. And this was a very broad view of love, but nonetheless, love was something that was very, very important in this uh, small letter. Truth is also important to John. It's not simply a matter of believing whatever it is you want to believe and throwing Christ's name upon that. John was very adamant about the idea of truth. We also heard, uh, again, not exhaustively so, but we heard a little bit about the person of Christ. This is the specific truth that John has been after. There is the Christ of Scripture, and yet his audience was being given from false teachers a, a bad view of the person of Christ. He talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit and also about uh, the issue of sin and how we uh, relate to sin. So these are a couple of things that you have heard uh, throughout these past few sermons. 
And today we will conclude uh, with this letter. So that being said, if you're able, physically so, I'll ask you to rise for the reading of the Lord's Word. This morning, it is 1 John chapter 5. I'll read verses 13 through 21. I'll pray, and then you can take your seat. The word of the Lord reads as follows. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. To him who commits sin that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Father, there is much said in this portion of Scripture. May your Spirit help us to digest what it is you would have us to know. Father, we thank you for this time in the service. May your blessings be upon us as we look further into your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can take your seat. My title for this uh, message is simply Matters Worth Knowing. Matters Worth Knowing. As a matter of fact, why don't you say that with me? Matters Worth Knowing. One more time. Matters Worth Knowing. John is communicating a number of things that he wishes for his audience to know. And of course, it'll be beneficial for us to know. Now, having said that, the truth is, there are a number of things that we can go through life without knowing about or fully understanding, and life would be totally okay. I tried to rack my brain about what would be some things that are not really important to know, and then I said, that's probably dangerous, because what's not important to you might be important to someone else. And so I said, you know what, well, let me just give my personal opinion. And this is very silly, but it's safe ground, I think. For me, I am not a fan of mayonnaise whatsoever. And, and, and I won't ask anyone else to, who, who is and who isn't. But I could care less 
how it's made, why it was made. (laughs) I don't care anything about that. And the truth is, I could live life, and life would be totally fine not having an intimate knowledge of mayonnaise. Now, for those who might be, I don't know if anyone's in the mayonnaise-making business, I apologize if that's how you make your money, and I stand to be rebuked if you wish. But that's something for me that doesn't really affect me one way or the other. And all of us perhaps could come up with something that fits that bill. But on the reverse side, there are things that we cannot afford to live life without knowing. And John gives us a handful of these things. Now, I don't think John is suggesting that we become, per se, scholars in the matters that he will reference, but these are vital things that we should know about. The first, we see this in verse number 13. He says, I write to you, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. One thing that is necessary, that is helpful, that is important to know, is the fact that those of us who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have been redeemed by his work upon the cross, we have eternal life. Now, that phrase, you know, some, and I guess maybe in its most basic form, uh, we think about it in a sense of life after death. And yes, but that's not really conveying uh, the depths of this phrase. For example, and I, and I actually referenced this in a previous sermon, uh, those who do not embrace Christ, I believe the Scripture teaches that they will not cease to exist after death. So in other words, there is a sense in which they have an eternal existence. The difference is the existence that the believer has compares to the existence that the non-believer has. And whenever eternal life is spoken of in the scriptures, it is a life, a, a, a life whereby the believer is fully in the presence of God. It is a life where we enjoy the benefits of being fully in the presence of God, i.e., no more pain, no more struggling with sin, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more heartache, no more death, and, and, and not only uh, uh, getting rid of negative things, but it's a receiving of positive things, fullness of joy. The scripture talks about even uh, various and certain rewards that, are, that will be ours. In other words, this is a concept that is helpful to ponder, and not just when you realize your days are few, but when things aren't going exactly how you want them to go. 
when the world seems to be against you, when others seem to be against you, when you are struggling with whatever, it is helpful to know that when it's all said and done, I have life eternal in Christ. And it should motivate us to persevere in the life that God has called us to live. And so John's audience, this would have been very helpful for those who are just coming into the faith to to hear this, but also for those who might have been a little bit more mature, who are experiencing various trials and such. It would be helpful to know that their walk in Christ is not in vain and that life eternal is theirs. And so, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, that this concept of eternal life is a matter worth knowing. And not just knowing, but pondering, thinking about it, meditating on it. And as you do, may we be encouraged by it. Amen? The second thing that we, uh, is worth knowing is that, <clears throat> excuse me, we are able to have confidence in our prayers before God. Let me take a quick sip of... uh, We are able to have confidence in our prayers before God. Look in verse number 14 and 15. It says, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Let me, now, it's it's easy, and I can understand why some will read a verse like this, and there are other verses that are very similar, even in the gospel itself, where some will take this and automatically interpret it as, well, You go and you make any and every request before God, and he has the responsibility to answer whatever it is you ask for. And if for some reason you don't get the request, then it's your fault because you didn't have the proper faith. And I would remind you that sometimes God does not answer our prayers the way we wish. You remember a fellow by the name of Paul, the apostle? He had this thorn in his flesh, something was troubling him. And Paul said, I prayed to God and I asked him three times to remove this thorn from me. And if, again, there's someone who should have their prayers answered, someone whose faith would have been strong, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But the Lord said, no. The Lord said, my grace will be sufficient for you in your weakness. Jesus in the garden says, my father, if we, could, if we can do this another way, remove this cup from me. And the Lord did not grant that specific request. And again, that, that, that could lead us into another discussion. But the bigger point is that God is not obligated. This is not telling us God is obligated to answer whatever it is we put before him. The idea has more to do with the fact that you and I, as believers, we have access to the Almighty who can do whatever it is that we need. Will he grant it? That's perhaps another question. 
But the reality stands is you and I, no matter what we are going through, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we're confused about, we have the ear of the Almighty. Sometimes it's hard to get a hold of the pastor. Forgive me if that's the case. Sometimes it's hard to get a hold of those that we think might have the answer. Sometimes we don't get the callbacks from our state representatives and all of that, who we feel might be able to do what we want. But that's not the case with our God. We have access to the creator of all things. And he stands ready to hear what it is we would bring before him. And not only does he stand ready to hear, he is more than able to do what we ask. And I ask you, do you take advantage of this? What I mean by that is, you know, it, and, and I, I guess I speak about myself somewhat. Sometimes I, 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 I offer safe prayers. You know, I, I'm scared to go to God for the impossible. Someone is, 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 is perhaps uh, extremely sick. And, 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 and again, you have to be discerning and, and all of that. But, but sometimes I let the situation dictate the strength of my prayers and my faith. And, and there, there are times where there are certain folks, I want them to know Jesus or I want this to happen. And, and I know God can do it, but, but my faith isn't strong to approach him. And instead, my prayers are, are rather weak. Lord, please. And again, this could be a good prayer, and he answers this prayer. But, but you know, I ask him for safe things. Things that if it don't happen, then I'm not, it is not the biggest thing in the world. I'll keep, keep it moving. But what about those things that just seem so impossible to you? What about those things that you just have no idea how it's going to work out? What about those situations that seem to be so disappointing and such a failure that you would rather just almost just leave it alone? It's these big and impossible things that God stands ready to answer. And John wants his audience to know that we can have confidence before such a God. And brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you as I challenge myself. It's not just a matter of knowing that we have a God who can do the impossible. But let us with great faith and confidence approach him with these matters that we need him for. I often, I have to, I laugh when I think about it, but there are times where I go before the Lord and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it, and then I'll say it, and then I'm like, oh, I might confuse God by saying it that way, so let me, it's like, <laughs> the Lord already knows what it is we're trying to say and how we're trying to say it. Don't go before him as it relates to the confidence of your own strength and ability. Go with him in the confidence of his strength and ability. And so, brothers and sisters, it's worth knowing that we can have confidence in our prayer life, asking the things that are according to his will. Amen? In verses 16 and 17, 
the prayer concept is still there, but it shifts towards our prayers regarding those who sin. This is not a very easy portion of the scripture. And on some level, I confess, even after looking over it and viewing various commentaries on it, it's still a very difficult portion of scripture. But it is important for us to know how to direct our prayer life for those who are in sin. In verses 16 and 17, we see this. And if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life to, who, uh, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Then he says, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Very, very, very difficult portion of this passage. But in essence, what's happening here as it relates to the first group, he is saying that there are, of course, brothers and sisters who sin. As a matter of fact, he said earlier in this portion of Scripture, if you say that you are without sin, you try to make God a liar, but in essence, you are a liar. And so, it's no, John is not uh, saying that, that the believer, once they come to know Christ, they, they are sin-free in the sense of they don't commit sin. For we do. Some of us perhaps committed sin last night. Some of us told a lie. Some of us thought impure thoughts. Some of, we might have done whatever it may have been. But John says that we can pray for such folk and they can have life. And what he means by that is these are folks who do recognize Christ. These are folks who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and yet they still, as a result of their flesh, sin. So folks who believe in Christ but yet struggle and sometimes cave in to sin, they still have hope. So for anyone who is dealing with sin, yes, we do have a responsibility to challenge them and things of that nature. But John says we should also be praying for such folk. He goes on to say that there is a sin that leads to death. And here is where he says, I, I, I say that you should not even, in essence, worry about praying. His specific words, I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, Jesus in the Gospels talks about, you know, we can be forgiven for uh, all sins, but there is a sin that we will not be forgiven for, and that's when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And some will take that to, to fit into here, and that is, uh, I think, rightly, uh, that can be applied. But most, at least commentators that I, that I really like and prefer, would say that this fits in the context where John has been consistently trying to get folks to embrace the true Christ of Scripture. And in essence, he's also counteracting falsehoods. So this, they would say, fits in the context more of apostasy. In other words, someone who does not recognize Jesus, someone who, uh, while they might have heard of him, but have no interest 
in his work, in his death for them, for this particular person who has totally gone that way, John says, for that, you need not pray. Now, let me say this, and, and, and let, me, let me speak uh, not necessarily from a theological interpretative standpoint. Uh, this is a difficult verse. In essence, are, are we being, are we saying, is, is John saying that if you know someone who rejects Christ, has nothing to do with Christ, that you should not pray for them? I don't think that is ultimately what he is saying. Those people who are out putting these books, trying to, uh, to um, uh, discredit Christianity and, and talk so bad about religion altogether, but specifically Christianity. Uh, you know, should we just sit here and say, you know, Lord, not redeem them? I think the better fit is that there are those that John is saying that these folks here should not really waste their time concerning themselves with that specific group but instead to focus upon the things that he is trying to give them. So it's not simply do not pray whatsoever. It's not waste your time or spend an exorbitant amount of time in comparison to those who are struggling with sin but yet believe in Christ. Now again, this is not something that's very easy, and I'm not trying to stand up here and say, Hey, this is the full-fledged answer. But that's what I believe in relation to various commentators that I respect. And again, I'm not trying to make this easier for you to accept or embrace, but it's in the Word of God, and we must address it. So at the very least, I would say John is saying spend the majority of your time concerned about brothers who have fallen in sin as opposed to to those who fully reject Christ and are sinning. So that's that. We can talk perhaps at some other point. But nonetheless, we have a responsibility, at the very least, to pray for our brothers and our sisters who are amongst us who are struggling or dealing with sin. Can we at least agree with that? Amen? In verses 18 through 20, he goes on to talk about the believer's connection to both the Father and the Son. And this is important to know. It is important to know our connection to both the Father and the Son. In verses 18, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know in verse number 20 that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Any time, or the overwhelming majority of time where John talks about the Father, the Son is very close by. 
In other words, John, in his mind, and other uh, authors of Scripture, you cannot have the Father without the Son. And to have the Son means you have the Father. And in these first couple of verses that I read, he is conveying to the people that, hey, if you know God and if you are in God, well, one of the signs or the proofs of such is that you are not out just sinning, just sinning, just sinning, just sinning, and just sinning some more. For someone to stand and say, I am in God and I know God, and then they go out and just sin as if nothing has happened, that's a problem. I think I might have used this before, if not here, somewhere else. It, it, you know, and I don't mean to, to, to rain on your favorite artist, per se, but there are some folks who are out there just doing all kinds of foolish, crazy stuff, and then they get up and say, first, let me thank God. And then they go back out <laughs> and do the stuff that is contrary to him. That's a problem. And if you keep on sinning according to John, then that is an indication that you are really not in God the Father. Again, he's not saying that we as believers do not sin. The difference is uh, sin, albeit if we confess, yes, sin can it can feel good, it makes us... It's, uh, it's pleasurable to us in whatever form or fashion. But if you are in Christ, that sin should cause some, some discomfort. It should cause some, some pain when you, when you come to your senses. And he says, if we are connected to the Father, know that we are not connected to a regular practice of sin. And then he goes on, but he who was born of God protects him. And that's a, 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 an interesting phrase. Some will say that he's shifting now to Jesus because he's going to start talking more about Jesus. But in essence, if that is indeed the case, that we are protected by the Savior. And as a result, the evil one cannot even do anything to us. But nonetheless, moving on, and, and I want to go to verse number 20 before we close out here soon. Uh, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Again, it's almost like he's coming to, to the end and he's reminding of something he has said. Those who were out there preaching to John's audience were basically giving them an incorrect view of Christ. And John, it's almost as if as he gets ready to close out, I want to remind you that if you want to be about the truth, if you want to be about right knowledge, then you will identify truth and right knowledge with the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he is saying, in essence, that you need not worry about being in falsehood if you are embracing the true Christ. Amen? So brothers and sisters, he's again wanting his audience to know that they have a connection with both the Father, who means they are to disconnect from sin, and then they also have a connection with the Son, which means they are connected to truth. And then he closes with an interesting phrase, little children, 
Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Now, of course, you, you know, and I need not spend too much time upon the idea of idolatry, but that being said, they are living, John was living in a world where there were people who are actually worshiping uh, false gods, and, and these false gods would have took various forms, the stool or something of that sort, this podium, and folks would have actually bowed down. And, and of course, we look back and it's like, oh, that was then, and we don't, yeah. But there are things that we do put before God if we are open and honest. And he's saying, be careful of that in essence. And that's the essence of idolatry. To, you might not think that you're actively worshiping in a formal sense, but anything that you put in the place that is reserved for God, His Son, and His Spirit alone, then you are committing adultery. I, I, idolatry. Adultery as well. <laughs> it worked. But anything, Anything that comes before God, it could be uh, your own self. It could be someone else, a spouse or children or whoever. It could be sports. It could be money. It could be fame or, or power or whatever. John says, do not engage in that. Keep yourself from idols. Whatever it is that will Compete with God. Guard yourself from it. Now, as we, again, officially close this out, I want to remind you, not only of these specific truths, I mean, everything that John has said thus far is worth knowing, but, the, but these are the things that, as a whole, I want to remind you of, and I kind of gave you a preview to that at the very beginning of the sermon. As a church, let us make sure that we are embracing the Christ of Scripture. Amen? Not a Christ that we make up, that makes us comfortable, that makes us agreeable, but the Christ of the Scriptures. Not only that, let us make sure that we are loving the way we have been loved. John says we are to love God. John says we are to love one another. And we should love the way Christ has loved us. Let us, as a church, be about striving for truth. Again, I know we live in a world, in a society where it's all about whatever you think is fine and so on and so forth. And that's applicable to certain situations. But when it comes to the truths of the scriptures, these are not worth compromising. These are not worth just giving up on. But instead, let us stand for the truth of the scriptures. Let us, and I guess this will be the last one, um, let us also uh, be careful. Let us be mindful 
of our interactions with sin. One of the things that scares me, honestly, and maybe this is me saying something about myself, but being in the Reformed world, so to speak, uh, and knowing that we are taken care of in Christ, we almost, we can become very lazy when it comes to sin. Jesus died for my sin. He paid the price for it. And I just need to confess it and everything will be all right. In theory. But it should pain us when we're not loving one another the way we're called to love one another. It should pain us when we do something that is contrary to the word of the Lord. Now, that's one side of sin. But John also says that if we do sin, we have an advocate. So for anyone who is struggling with sin, know that there is a Savior who not only stands ready to redeem, but stands ready to aid you. He aids you in your struggle with sin. And this is why the Holy Spirit is given to us. These are the things that I believe 1 John wants us to remember. And I ask and I pray that the Holy Spirit will impress these things upon your heart as I'm asking him to impress it upon my heart. And so let us ponder these things and let us not just close this series out with, well, we just finished 1 John and let's go on. But let us think about these things as a whole. And as we do, may the Lord be honored. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless your most holy name. And Father, we thank you for your word. For your word as a whole, is worth knowing. We thank you, Father, for what we have been taught by your apostle. We thank you, Lord, for the words within 1 John. We pray, O oh Lord, uh, well, for one, we thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon us in your Son. And we thank you so much uh, that this love is ours eternally. We pray, Father, that you would help us to not only recall to mind the things that John has taught us in this word, but help us to put into practice the things that he has called us unto. Help us to ponder eternal life. Help us to take joy and encouragement by it. Father, help us to stand on the truth. Help us to seek out the truth of your word and to study it diligently, wanting to know your will and your mind. Father, help us to, to, to stand fast and to embrace uh, Christ, the Christ of Scripture. Father, may we look at Jesus uh, as he is, not as we want him to be. And Father, we just pray that you would help us as it relates even to sin. For our brothers and sisters who are in sin, for us who are struggling and dealing with sin, and Father, even for that difficult portion that we saw today about those who uh, have apostatized, help us to understand that perhaps even better. Father, thank you so much for First John, and I thank you also for the brothers who stood up here to preach from it as well. Bless us as we ponder and meditate upon it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, if you're physically able, I ask you to rise for our closing song. You peace. Amen.